Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Flying V Believe in Ducks podcast. I am your co-host, Anthony Cerdelli. With me again today is my other co-host, Kent Huskins. Kent, welcome again. Hey, Anthony. Thanks, man. Good to be here again. And we're looking forward to discussing with you today some uh, line combinations, some potential line combinations for the Ducks, as well as a little bit of a Bob Murray discussion. Kent has some uh, firsthand experience with uh, GMBM, as they like to call them, uh, in the media. And we're also going to talk a little bit about Troy Terry and Sam Steele, just getting into what they bring to the game, where we think they're going to end up uh, on the roster, and, and hopefully some, uh, what they'll do this season. But first, here on the Believe Podcast Network, Southern California's number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in Southern California and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Of course, we are part of Believe Podcast Network, and you can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And you can find me on Twitter at Deli Tweets. That's D-E-L-L-I Tweets. And on Instagram at Deli Meat. That's D-E-L-L-I-M-E-A-T as in lunch meat. And Ken, if you want to... Uh, Tell them your, your uh, handles again. Yeah, I've got the Instagram uh, basically started up a couple weeks ago. So it's Huskverna, H-U-S-K underscore V-E-R-N-A. Um, and uh, yeah, still working on uh, working on Twitter there. We're a uh, work in progress. Maybe in the next couple of weeks we'll get something going there too. But Instagram for now, it's all I can handle. <laughs> Sounds good. So let's get into it. Uh, you want to talk about the line combinations first and kind of go into... Uh, What's going on there? So far, we've only seen line combinations for one preseason game. There's another one coming up tonight, uh, so we'll, we'll see more after that. But, Kent, first impressions from the line combinations for you? Yeah, I think it's uh, you kind of take what you can out of preseason. Uh, obviously, being one game in, we'll probably get a better sense of uh, a sneak peek or, or what, what kind of direction or, or lineups and that kind of thing you kind of learn more as time passes but so yeah in the first game I think you know, it was a tough one the guys had to fly uh, basically up to San Jose um, to skate here in the morning fly up and then uh, basically go straight to the rink and play the game so that's never a Never an easy one, I can attest to, especially for the older guys. <laughs> I remember those got uh, got exponentially harder as the years went by to kind of get those legs going after the flight. Young guys are probably fine, but uh, yeah, it, it was a solid showing by the Ducks, I thought, and uh, to come away with a win in San Jose on a on a same day travel game was uh, was a good start to camp. Yeah, I think uh, that first line potentially. I mean, like you said, we've only seen one game. Obviously, lines change throughout the season, but the Raquel Steel Silverberg line I think has a lot of promise, and it all really hinges, I think, in the entire depth of uh, of the roster on Sam Steele's ability to acclimate to the NHL and contribute his first year. If he has a good year, I think that first line can be really, really potentially good. You've got Silverberg, who's got a lot of defensive responsibility as well as offensive skills. He's got a great shot. Steele has the potential to be a really poised offensive player. He's got good offensive instincts. We saw in the rookie faceoff, he had a really nice goal, uh, basically going basically <laughs> on a tour around the offensive zone before putting in his own rebound. And then Raquel has the, uh, has the potential as well. Two seasons ago, I think he had 
over 30 goals. So he, he's, he's the big scorer on that line. And I think they can be really, uh, really pretty good. The thing that's interesting to me is the next two lines. You've got Henrique centering Comtois on the left and Kasha on the right. Uh, Henrique, to me, uh, is a good, he's nice and versatile. You can, you can, he can center a second or third line. But to be a consistent second line center, you'd like him, I think, to contribute a little more offensively. I think that's where Getzlev and Henrique might switch. Um, and you were mentioning Getzlav, you would think was still a, probably a first or second line center. Yeah, I, I think you look at the body of work over the last, I don't know, five, ten years, um, just the player that he's been. And I think you, looking at a year like last year, uh, I feel offensively wise and almost across the board, um, they were able to get off to a good start. But as time kind of went on, it just – Seemed like it was just one of those years where nothing went right. And um, up and down the lineup, you look at, at numbers guys had last year as compared to their, the rest of their careers. And I feel like it was pretty much just kind of a throwaway year um, all in all. But I really do. I love that um, when you have a, a team that's built, when you have three balanced lines for sure, as opposed to uh, one and two that eat up huge minutes. I love we have three, three or even four balanced lines. I feel like that's that's really hard hard to play against, and it's just great from a team sense. If everyone gets involved in the game, you don't have guys sitting there, and everyone's fresh for when there's power play, penalty kill. Um, obviously, game scenarios are going to be different night to night, but uh, yeah, just for that consistency's sake, to get everyone kind of. Um, at least kind of in double-digit minutes or, or something close to that. I think it's a great formula. Um, I know there, there's always room for, like I say, night to night. Uh, you notice guys are, guys are going, some guys are having an off night, and the kind of coaching staff kind of monitors that and adjusts accordingly over the course of the game. But um, to kind of just kind of have that base framework of uh, at least three, three balanced lines or, or even four, I I think that's a great way to play. It's a, it's fun. It's exciting. Exciting for the guys. Exciting for the fans. Seeing everyone kind of energized and having that jump in their step uh, from the forward sense. And then um, defense is a little bit of a different animal. I feel like it's. I, I think having that top four and then uh, the third pair, which is kind of <laughs> where I usually sat, it's just kind of sprinkled in and um, helping to, to kill penalties and. Um, and that kind of thing, and you'll monitor that as well. But I guess bottom line, yeah, I I like to look at the, uh, the lineup the first night, and I uh, feel like that's a, that's a great direction to head towards. But long way to go yet. It looks like uh, just uh, for first off that they're they're probably going to keep Lindholm and Manson together. That's been a pretty popular pairing amongst fans, and I'm sure the team because they were they were so good two seasons ago, and then they kind of broke them up a little bit last season. Gooley and Fowler. Uh, paired up together that that one uh, I think it the big determinant of that one is going to be how good is 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 Ghoul. Uh if he's really good I mean I think that pair could uh, could be could be pretty good and uh, as long as Fowler bounces back from last season Larson and Delzato was the third pairing uh, you liked the way Larson played you kind of liked his game when we saw him in the rookie faceoff. he he had some some uh, exposure last year in the NHL and then Delzato's back after being traded midway through last season he brings a veteran presence there that I think is, is well-placed on that third pairing. 
Yeah, I, I think you can group the, the defensemen in, in with the forwards as far as just, just last year things kind of went sideways. And I don't, I don't think anyone uh, had a great year last year. I think they would all, everyone would all admit that. And I mean, it happens over the course of, uh, over the course of a career. And uh, it's just all about how you bounce back. And I think just, I, I had a chance this, this week to go to the, uh, the charity uh, Anaheim Ducks golf tournament down in uh, Oak Creek. And uh, I was slinging some cold brew for the boys <laughs> set, up on, set up on a hole and got to chat every, with everyone. So that was, it was great and a fun day and, and uh, raised some great money for the Anaheim Ducks Foundation. So great job by the organization on, on, a, on a great day. And just having the opportunity to talk to some of the guys. And um, yeah, I mean, the consensus is, is um, yeah, just a, a renewed energy, obviously the start of a new season. Um, just kind of a new practice facility, you know, just a new year for everyone. I think everyone's ready for a challenge, new coach. Everyone's, everyone's excited to get going, and there's a great kind of energy surrounding the team and training camp. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's exciting times, and, and everyone's uh, excited to, to start again. Um, yeah, taking a look at the defense, I, I really like Lindholm and Manson. Um, love the way they both play. Obviously, it's have their different uh, different styles, but uh, makes for a great pairing. I think Fowler's um, gonna have a great season. Cam's just still an elite level skater, just a great, smart player, great puck mover. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see the direction they go for um, the last um, three spots. I think we'll probably see some rotation over the course of the year. Um, I mean, I. Personally, coming off the, the end of my career, I always have a, you know, kind of root for the veteran guys. So, um, but I don't know, you, you love the youth movement too in the NHL these days, all the exciting players and the, the energy they bring as well. So I think these three that were in for this lineup would make a, a great way to round out the, the six spots. But uh, there are also um, a couple other guys at camp that'll definitely have something to say. And there are those, still those rumors floating around about Bob Murray trying to pick up another defenseman. Uh, Rist, Rasmus Ristolainen was mentioned in a couple articles this week that, that the Ducks had inquired about him, but the price from Buffalo was too high. He's a guy I always thought would be a good kid candidate for a hockey trade, someone from the Ducks uh, roster who maybe needs a change of scenery, uh, probably a forward. I, I mentioned Nick Ritchie, or sorry, not, yeah. Um, Ritchie, I think, might have been a good uh, one-for-one trade for Ristolainen, but I think maybe that the Sabres didn't view Richie as a high enough, uh, and this wasn't mentioned in the articles, this is just my own opinion, that maybe Richie wasn't quite a high enough uh, return for uh, a defenseman like Ristolainen, um, but yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, uh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, you can never go wrong with, uh, with kind of bolstering your defense. Um, obviously, I'm partial, but I think that's a a big part of every team, especially your top three, four guys that are going to play between 20, 25 minutes and take up the bulk of the time out there. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think there's always rumors this time of year. Um, there was the big one circulating around about uh, Justin Falk as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like what they've got right now. Um, obviously, it's up to management. Uh, I think I always 
big advocate of uh, Bob Murray as well. I think he's done a great job. I know we're going to go into that, but uh, yeah, they'll they'll make the right move for the franchise, and uh, we'll be curious to see what happens. Absolutely, and just. Touching on the forwards a little bit more, uh, I was very interested to see the third line uh, with Getzlav centering, Terry on the left, Richie on the right. That kind of piqued my interest because both Terry and Richie were playing their off wings but on the same line. So it wasn't like he moved them around to try to fit someone else into the lineup. Uh, he just kind of switched them on their off wings and put them on the same line. I, I mean, maybe to see how they play together, maybe they see how they deal with playing their off wing, especially, especially Terry. Uh, I'm sure Richie has done it a fair amount during his time in the NHL. But that, to me, was interesting. Uh, and then that line, that battle for the bottom, the last couple spots of, uh, in the forward core, Max Jones had a great game uh, in that preseason game, scored a goal, was physical again. People were impressed with his play. Uh, and then they had Daniel Sprong down there on the right, centered by Shore. Uh, I think that, comp like I said, the competition for the last spot there with Carter, Carter Rowney. Wow, I almost, that was my New Hampshire accent coming out. <laughs> Carter Rowney. <laughs> uh, he wasn't in the lineup, but he had a career season last year. I think the Ducks were happy with how he played down on that fourth line. But it might be a tough pill to swallow for him if he doesn't make the team after a career year. You'd think he, he might be more likely than not to make it. But uh, with Jones down there kind of flirting with the third line, fourth line spot, uh, and even Comtois, we haven't mentioned, he was up on the second line in that game. I really think it's going to be difficult, uh, a difficult decision for, for Bob Murray to make to round out that bottom, that bottom line and, and who gets a regular spot in the lineup, who gets scratched, because it would be really hard not to have Carter Rowney on the roster after the season he had last year. Yeah, I agree. And I think um, a key word that you just mentioned was, was competition. And I think that, that kind of is another benefit to having uh, that depth. And I think if you look at this this lineup, is for example, not saying this is gonna be the open day lineup, but just this this kind of setup where you have Raquel, Steele, Silverberg, Comtois, Henrique, Kasha, Terry, Getzloff, Ritchie, Jones, Shore, Sprong, as kind of your up and down. I mean, that, that'd be tough to kind of peg any one of those as one, two, three, um, you know, you could make a case for one's four, but um, I think and if you get those balanced minutes and you, even if you sprinkle in a couple of, of players that are, that are hungry and obviously get that in-house competition going, I think that's so key where guys are, um, you're obviously always going to compete against the other team. Um, that's uh, obvious. But uh, when you get that in-house competition of guys, there's competing for minutes and it's not just kind of set in stone that, uh, player A is going to have X amount of minutes per night when it's just kind of um, night to night guys are fighting for spots guys are fighting for minutes within the the same team it, that's healthy I mean I've, I've been on teams where that's the case and those are some of the the healthiest teams obviously obviously there's no resentment or anything like that within the team everyone's just just pushing each other it's just like you're having a great workout partner like you, you guys and uh, you find a way to push each other so I think that's what uh that's what I like about that style lineup, but um, yeah, lot a uh, lot of time between now and even game one of the regular season, and then obviously that's a whole other story. So, uh, but I think the key takeaway is with these young guys coming up is just the all of a sudden the depth that uh, that is available to the the coaching staff of these players have had a year of of, uh, of work in in uh, San Diego and had had an initial kind of. Uh, experience in the NHL and now I've had a summer to go home 
identify where they need to work physically and other aspects of their game, whether it's skating, puck handling. Um, and they've had a few months now to, to work on rounding out their game and come back to camp fresh and hungry. And uh, yeah, I think it'll be great. So let's get into Bob Murray. You told me uh, the first time we met that you, you will owe, owe a lot of your career to Bob Murray, right? He, he, he really was an advocate for you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, owe a great deal to, uh, to Bob Murray over the course of my career. Um, going back to when I was originally drafted, so playing in the Ottawa area, and then I went for my freshman year uh, at Clarkson University. Yeah, uh, Bobby was the, uh, the GM of the uh, Blackhawks for my draft year, so he was the, uh, my original uh, drafting GM um, back in the day. So yeah, I think it was a fifth or sixth round, but a late round, and um, yeah, I think that uh, I definitely, um, that was obviously a, a goal of mine. Obviously, the, the, big, the big dream was to make the NHL and to have uh, to have someone kind of see something in you to think that that uh, that could be a possibility and to to see uh, to see some potential within you is great and to to get drafted by an original six organization I, I was just uh, super honored and uh, and very excited at the time. So then you go to eventually you end up with the Manitoba Moose where uh, he's a, a scout at the time with the Vancouver Canucks, correct? So that, the, the Moose at that time were a Canucks AHL affiliate. He's a scout for the Canucks, and you you end up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just uh, it was just funny how it worked out, and I think it um, yeah it stemmed back from just a, I guess a knowledge of uh, from those days, and I I think I. Um, always felt like I had the potential, but personally, I just couldn't couldn't get over the hump to become an NHL player. So I uh, appreciate that he he had faith and saw something that uh, that he thought that that could be a possibility. And it took took a while, but it eventually happened. So yeah. it worked out. Because then he brings you. Uh, I mean, he's he's the senior VP of hockey operations for the Ducks when you end up with the Portland Pirates, who I believe were the Ducks affiliate at the time. Right, exactly. And yeah, and so that was the summer that, yeah, I saw. So I just finished up playing uh, in Manitoba, Manitoba during uh, lockout year. I believe it was 04 when there was no season. So uh, I was down there the entire year. And um, and then, yeah, when Randy got hired on as the head coach, I think it was a couple weeks later that, uh, yeah, I got offered a – uh, a two-way deal, which, you know, I knew I was going to be in Portland, but, um, yeah, I was just thrilled to be a part of the organization, and, um, and yeah, yeah, thanks, Bob. <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, to finish off that story, Pronger gets injured, there's a couple injuries to the defensive core, you get called up, and then you kind of, that's when your NHL career begins. Yeah, my first year, I was, I was in Portland the whole year, um, then uh, that offseason, I think that was my fifth year in the American League, and we had a great team in Portland that year. We had uh, Dustin Penner, Ryan Shannon, uh, Corey uh, Perry, and Ryan Getze uh, came down for a few games. But uh, yeah, we were we were pretty stacked. We had Shane O'Brien, Zenon Kanopka, and so no shortage of toughness either. But uh, yeah, we had we had a great team that year. Um, and then so that summer, I uh, got some pretty good offers to go to Russia, or not Russia, to Switzerland for the first time in my career. I was getting some good money to offered uh, to go play in Europe. And I, I was pretty close to taking it. And then um, basically I was talking to my agent and he said that uh, 
that the outlook looked very favorable and he was getting word that I, I would get get games. Obviously, I'd have to hold up my end of the bargain, but all, all things being equal, I'd get games that year and that was more important to me than, uh, than the dollars. So I just wanted to play one game in the NHL at that point. And then, so yeah, Sean O'Donnell got hurt at um, Christmas time. I think he was gonna be out for maybe two, three games. So uh, yeah, I got the call. I think it was Christmas Eve or December 23rd down in Portland to come up and play. And so that was obviously a, a dream come true to play my first NHL game. And I thought it was gonna be three games. And then um, I think in the third period of the third game, uh, Bosch uh, ended up going down with uh, with an injury that was a little more serious, so he was going to be uh, out for about a month. So I remember we we got on the plane, and um, I think it was uh, Randy or one of the other coaches came back and told me I was going to have to uh, go out and buy some clothes the next day because <laughs> I basically packed enough for two or three day, two or three games or two or three days and. They said that, uh, yeah, it looked like Bosch was going to be out for about a month, so to go pick up an extra suit or something tomorrow because you're going to be here for a bit. So obviously that's kind of the nature of sports. Um, and uh, it's tough getting that opportunity due to someone else's injury, but it wasn't anything super serious, and we knew Bosch was going to be back a month. So, um, so yeah, I was... Uh, I was happy for the for the opportunity, um, and then uh, that kind of set in motion a pretty insane uh, next six months, which <laughs> culminated in the Stanley Cup. So yeah, yeah, that was pretty crazy. So uh, this, uh, that was a, obviously the kind of turning point in my career, or my kind of big break that went further than I could have possibly imagined. Did you ever talk face to face with Murray? Do you have any interesting Bob Murray an anecdotes, like any kind of any story? I mean, that you're willing to share. Obviously, some stuff is private. <laughs> yeah, I think I um, I don't know. I I'm, was always uh, never one kind of chasing the business side of it. So I know some guys would have uh, like be in touch with their agent constantly, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's that's probably makes more sense than the way I did it. Like you kind of want to be in tune with what's going on and just kind of keeping the lines of communication open is always healthy. But uh, for me, I was always just uh, had to focus so so cleanly on the game. And I learned early on that if I kind of ventured too far out that and started worrying about other stuff that I wasn't, I wasn't very good. I needed kind of all my faculties and everything focused on kind of what I was doing day to day to to be at my best. So um, I just, just remember, yeah, I was talking to Murph one day at the uh, Christmas party, and um, I, think we were, I think I was, my contract was up at the, <laughs> the end of the year, and he was talking to uh, my agent, Larry Kelly, who I hadn't, I hadn't talked, like, I, I'd seriously go months without talking to my <laughs> agent, just because I was so kind of trying to focus on what I was doing, and. Uh, and I think he said to me something like, Husky, is, uh, is Larry your, your agent? Because I, I talked to him the other day, and he said he's not sure. So uh, <laughs> I, had to, I had to give Larry a call the next day. Larry Kelly out of Ottawa, awesome guy, and uh, was my agent for my career. So that's just a little funny story. But, uh, yeah, just little, little interactions like that um, with Murph over the course of my career. But, yeah, that's... Uh, Always great seeing him. Another time was kind of funny. After I retired, I uh, 
we were out at a, a local restaurant just with some friends. We had a, a night out on a sitter, so I was having a couple cocktails, feeling pretty good. And uh, I see, I see Bob over at the, over at the bar waiting for his food, and um, I just I had to go over and say hi. And I was a, uh, a couple into the evening, so in in a great mood. So I just kind of go over, all fired up to see him. Hey, Bob, how's it going? How's it going? And then. Uh, I just could tell uh, from his mood right away that, uh, that, yeah, the Ducks. And then I saw it, like, turned the scoreboard and ESPN was on. I saw the Ducks had lost. I think it was, like, 4 or 5-1 that night. So I had to kind of <laughs> dial it back a little bit and, and realize the, the mood. But, no, he was great. We had a, a good chat, and it's just always fun seeing him. That is that is a great story, both of those. Especially just the I love the like the, the agent doesn't know, <laughs> just like yeah, I guess I am. If you're willing to if you're willing to uh, give us an offer, but I'll get back in touch. I mean that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know it was uh, that was a funny one. Just yeah, hadn't heard from me in probably a few months, probably longer than that. Just wasn't sure what the if the agreement was still in place, but that's just kind of how I operated. Yeah, and I think Murray overall is, has done a great job with the Ducks. I don't think anybody can argue that. Lately, you're right, he's gotten kind of a bum rap, one, one kind of unsuccessful season, and, and people are kind of jumping on his tendency not to sign big-name free agents and that type of stuff. But, I mean, when you look at his, his overall time with the Ducks and his, his success, and his, especially his success drafting players, I mean, I don't know why you would – basically want to fix it if it ain't broken uh he's he has done a great job i mean the ducks have made the playoffs in all of three but his 11 seasons as general manager they won the stanley cup when he was working under berkey uh as a gm when you were on the team he's made two conference finals uh and really i think the choice to sign players internally that the ducks have kind of grown and 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 developed uh has helped with their consistency i, I think that that hasn't been a bad thing um uh, there's an article here I was reading from Anaheim Calling by, uh, sorry, uh, Kyle, if I pronounce your last name wrong, Kyle Kikanap, where he kind of went through and, and looked at, I think this is up to February 2018, the success that Bob Murray has had drafting. Uh, within that time that he, I think since 2005 to 2018, the Ducks are the third overall team in players that they've drafted to play one NHL game. I think that is... Uh, uh, they were behind, I want to say, the Senators and, and one other team. They're first in the NHL from 2005 to 2018 in players they've drafted that have played a full NHL season. That's around 82 games, plus or minus a few, according to, to Kyle's, uh, Kyle's process. Yeah, I, I think that's the true. That, to me, is the where kind of GMs in the front office, I don't know. I always thought that was kind of more the uh, a more successful more kind of consistent where you're going to get longevity when you're focused on drafting building from within developing within your system and bringing them up i mean the red wings did it for years and look at the success they had i i I always think that more mistakes and more kind of franchise kind of long-term detrimental moves are made um, on July 1st and on the trade deadline day than any other day throughout the course of the year. I I don't think that should ever be a concern that, um, yeah, I mean, it's true. You're you're not going to hear, it seems like it's always kind of the same teams that are in those talks when there's the the big name free agent uh, of the year and 
and just some of some of these deals these guys are getting and I I, I don't know I was happy the guy the Ducks didn't do any didn't do um, go after any of the big guys like on July 1st July 2nd um, I love the depth signings I think those are kind of go under the radar and unnoticed and reading some of the blogs people are like who who is this guy I mean those things matter to a team like filling out those depths bottom six even like the 13th 14th forward seventh defenseman those moves matter and you and um, to, I'd rather yeah be focused on those and be worried about drafting and developing take a look at a guy like um, we we're talking about Sam Steele and Troy Terry Troy Terry is a fifth round draft pick that the Ducks got I think probably um, I can imagine heard throughout his career undersized you know that was always a concern but uh, and kind of overshadowed on a U.S. Uh, uh, national development team with guys like uh, Austin Matthews and Matthew Chichuk. But for, um, yeah, I think that's a, just a, a case in point of, of drafting well, having the foresight to, to do the, the legwork with the scouting. I know analytics um, definitely have something to say with these decisions now as well, but getting, um, getting those moves right on draft day, drafting the young players um, who you can identify as having significant upside, bringing them along in your system, uh, making sure you have a great relationship with the, the minor league team so it's kind of a seamless transition and, and just having all those details right rather than relying on other teams to develop talent and then you coming swooping in five years into someone's career and basically paying for that. I think I think that's more on the right track for long-term success, and I think that's why you've seen the record over the past ten years um, and the resume of success been how it is. And you mentioned there we go, Troy Terry. So let's get a little bit into to Terry and Steele. Um, talk a little bit more about what they bring to the game. I just think they're going to be both great additions. I think skating is just kind of a non-negotiable in today's NHL. Um, they're both great skaters. What stuck out to me on, on that play you were mentioning when Steele's goal in the rookie game, um, just the, the ability to, to pivot and the mobility of a forward and, and some, um, some high-end kind of deception, shot fake and open pivot. And he did that two or three times over in the span of like 10 seconds and just kind of sent the defenseman spinning. Um, so just to be able to do that in close quarters, that's that's elite level skating. And then uh, and same thing for Terry in that one game, just the, the straight ahead speed and the ability for his uh, his go-to, it seems like over the course of career, it seems to scouting report, uh, loves the five hole uh, on breakaways. Um, so I don't know, I, I think I these players, uh, Steele and Terry kind of uh, there seem to be a lot of similarities, and um, obviously there's probably some subtleties that are different. Look forward to getting a better sense for those um, as the season goes on. But I think both um, welcome additions um, to the lineup this year, if that's what the Ducks choose to do. And having seen what they were able to accomplish in San Diego last year, it, it should be uh, should be fun. You mentioned Steele's, Steele's deception. This might be a little bit self-explanatory or repetitive, but I, I was curious. From a defenseman's point of view, when you're in the zone defending like that and you have a skater with the puck coming in on you like that and he can, he can kind of move from edge to edge, open pivot like you mentioned, what, what's, wh how, why is that so hard to defend? Can you explain a little bit more? Yeah, definitely. So when, when you have a guy, so when he first got the puck on that play, he's kind of circling the offensive zone. And when he opened up, 
and looked like he was going to basically um, get a shot off, you have to respect that shot as a player. So you have to, if you're not close enough quick as a defenseman, my first instinct would be to get in the shot lane. So in that place, you're kind of trying to figure out where the shot lane is and adjusting your body accordingly. So as soon as he kind of turns, faces his net, and he has a little bit of space, and he looks like he's going to shoot, then you have to kind of, like I say, like brace yourself, try and focus on getting in the shot lane. So he, when he sells that shot like that to the point where the defenseman is basically sold that he's shooting and then is able to basically drag it and turn back forward, you're flat-footed, and he kind of has that momentum from the turn that he can carry throughout the rest of his way through the offensive zone, which is what he did, and, and kind of kept uh, going around the net. And I think he um, – so that's why the – the, uh, the shot kind of deception is so important. And same thing with you're looking with your eyes and looking for passing lane. As a defenseman, you're trying to figure out where is he going to pass. I've got to get my stick in that lane. And that's just all he's doing is just buying himself time and creating options. So if you uh, he's kind of setting you up as a defenseman. So if you don't respect the pass, he's looking for a pass, and, and they'll make it. And good players will make it. And if you start worrying about too much taking the passing lane away, then he's got to step on you and he, he just continues on his way throughout the offensive zone, which is what he did, and kind of uh, was able to get behind the net, um, buy himself a little more room, and then, um, yeah, I mean, the wraparounds won't won't often go in on, on NHL goalies, but if they're falling for the deception too, that's why it's just so important if you can just throw someone off for that half step. And you mentioned Terry straight ahead speed. They both, they're both quick players, but that kind of presents another another difficult option for a defenseman. First of all, in that goal that Terry scored, uh, the first one, that breakaway goal in that, in that rookie game, he jumped on a bad change by the Golden Knights. Uh, first of all, I mean, is that always in your head with a guy at that much speed? It, you obviously have to be very smart about your changes in any level of hockey when you're changing on the fly, but especially NHL. And then talk about straight ahead speed when it comes to gap control, controlling the space between you and the forward and, and not letting them get around you. Yeah, yeah, gap, gap control. You always hear people talk about gap control, and that's uh, that's so important as a defenseman. That's why there's such a premium on skating uh, and mobility in defensemen these days, uh, because um, you know these guys can go so fast uh, forward, and they can uh, when you have that acceleration. It's the same thing about forwards are using speed, quickness, and deception to try and buy themselves space and. Um, or get a step on you and, and, and get, find the ability to get body position so they can um, basically make a, a straighter line to the net. So on a, on a play like that, yeah, bad changes are going to happen. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the, the nature of the sport. Unfortunately, it's a game of mistakes. And uh, especially if you're out there for 45, 50 seconds and the oxygen uh, starts getting in short supply, that's a <laughs> Uh, a lot of that's not getting all the way to your brain, too, so that's when a lot of mistakes kind of happen. That's why I always hear people talking about short shifts. But uh, you know, when you get up towards the 50-minute mark, you're just 50-second uh, to one-minute mark, you're looking to, to probably make a change. And um, and I guess, yeah, there, there's definitely some room for error, especially with the speed like that. So, um, yeah, you saw that on that play. And I think, yeah, just overall, when you have the threat of speed, that's going to cause defenseman just human nature no one wants to get roasted wide no one wants to get walked um, so when you can get uh, when you have that threat of speed that's going to back defenseman off 
and uh, that opens up again, passing lanes, room to make plays, and skill guys kind of eat that up. And the changing thing kind of seems self-explanatory, especially if you've been a hockey fan for a long time, but it's pretty, it's kind of an intricate art. Uh, this guy, Justin Bourne of The Athletic, wrote a very interesting article just a couple days ago titled, How Do Line, Chains ha Line Changes Happen and Why Do They Sometimes Go Wrong? Uh, obviously, I'm not going to go into detail, but it's a great article explaining kind of the... Um, the chemistry of line changes on the bench, the different theories, what kind of the, the cost-benefit analysis that's going on in a player's head when they're on the ice, when they're going to change. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah, I'd love to read that article because it is just a, a more subtle um, <laughs> subtle part of the game that is pretty unique to hockey if you think about it. And um, it is pretty wild. And I know as a player, yeah, you're always – that's where uh, you're kind of always relying on your, your forwards or your, your D partner. That's why you always hear in 80% uh, of hockey interviews that you've ever heard people talk about getting pucks deep and uh, getting pucks in and pucks out. It's because if you, uh, yeah, you're relying, you're basically, if, you're, if your forward or winger has it and you see he has got some space and he looks like he's going to get the red line, you basically, as if you're the offside defenseman, you and you're late in your shift, you're basically banking on he's getting that puck in and you're, so you can get all the way to the bench. So that's where you see sometimes, a lot of times it comes off a turnover. Um, and you kind of see the defenseman back there scrambling. I know it happened to me. It happens to everyone. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely an interesting part of the sport. I'll have to read that article. That would uh, be a good read. All right, so I think that'll do it. Is there anything else you wanted to add today? Uh, that's pretty much it. I guess I, I have to, full disclosure, I'm cheating on, uh, on my Ducks alumni this weekend, heading up tomorrow to San Jose to play in a, a Sharks alumni game against the, uh, the Women's Professional uh, Hockey Players Association. Uh, I was putting together a team, and they're going to play against uh, the Sharks alumni. So, um, I don't know. It's probably not <laughs> not going to be pretty as far as this guy's concerned, but, uh, but yeah, it should be fun and all part of uh, Sharks Fan Fest, so it's going to be great to see the guys and uh, and the fans as well, so it should be a fun weekend. Yeah, we got to get a picture of you in a Ducks uniform on that Believe podcast page. You're sitting there in a Sharks uniform at the blue line. Uh, let's, uh, <laughs> I saw that. I <laughs> let's saw get that Ducks picture in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I agree. Um, all right, well, that's going to do it, and as always... Uh, my Twitter is at Delhi Tweets. Kent, you want to say your, your Instagram one more time? Yeah, one more time here. Husk, Verna, H-U-S-K underscore V-E-R-N-A. There it is. And uh, that's going to do it. So here on the Believe Podcast Network, Southern California's number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in Southern California and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? So, yeah, have a good one, and we'll be back uh, for the next episode next week. to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.